ready for a fright? Can you handle a scare? This is your home for all things horror. <laughs> Welcome to the Deadline Podcast with your host, Jay. Welcome back to a new episode of Deadline Podcast. Um, today we're going to cover about a murderer that almost got away um, with killing his family. Uh, he was dubbed the Happy Face Killer, and we'll get into that later on down in the story about why he was dubbed the Happy Face Killer. So a little background on him. Uh, first thing about it is his daughter. So his daughter, Melissa Moore, was 16 when she learned the brutal truth about her dad. I'll never forget the day I found out, she stated. I come home from school and my mom called out for me and my siblings. Moore, now 41, recalled on the Vice podcast extremist. Then she said, your father's in jail. My brother asked, for what? And she said, for murder. Keith Hunter Jasperson was born on April the 6th, 1955 in British Columbia, Canada. The middle child with two brothers and two sisters. His father was a alcoholic and Keith claimed that his paternal grandfather was violent. Les Jasperson denied being an abusive parent. However, while investigating for his book on Jasperson, Author Jack Olson was able to confirm much of the claim abuse with other family members. Treated like an outcast by his own family and teased by other children for his large size at a young age, Keith was a lonely child who showed uh, for, uh, for he had a thing for torturing and killing animals. Despite constantly getting into trouble in his youth, including twice attempting to kill children, who had crossed him. Keith graduated from high school, secured a job as a truck driver in 1974, got married a year later, and had, and had three children. In 1990, after 15 years of marriage, Keith was divorced and saw his dream to become a rural Canadian mountain uh, policeman dash following an injury. After returning to truck driving, it was that year that Jasperson began to kill. In his younger years, Keith was given less attention than his siblings and treated differently by the rest of his family. After moving to Washington, he had trouble fitting in and making friends because of his large size. His brothers did not help him. Instead, they nicknamed him Igor, a name that stuck throughout his school years. Because of this, he was a shy child, content, content to play by himself much of the time. He would often get into trouble for behaving badly, sometimes violently, and would be severely punished by his father. This included beatings, sometimes with a belt in front of others, and, in one case, he received an electric shock from his father. At a very early age, as young as five, Keith would capture and 
torture animals. He enjoyed watching animals kill each other as well as the feeling he got from taking their lives. This continued as, it, as he got older. He would capture birds and stray cats and dogs around the trailer park where he lived with his family, several beating, se severely beating the animals and then strangling them to death, something for which he claims his father was proud of him. In the years following, Keith, had, Keith said he often thought about what it would be like to do the same to a human. That desire manifested in two attempted murders. The first happened when Jasperson was around 10 years old. He was friends with a boy named Martin, and the two would often get into trouble together. Keith claimed he was punished many times for things Martin had done and blamed on Keith. This led Keith uh, to attack Martin, violently beating him until his father pulled him away. He later claimed his intention was to kill the boy. Approximately one year later, Keith was swimming in a lake when another boy held him under underwater until he blacked out. Sometime later, at a public pool, he attempted to drown the boy by holding his head under the water until the lifeguard pulled him away. Keith reported that he was raped at the age of 14. He graduated from high school in 1973, but did not attend a college because his father did not believe he could do it. Although he was not successful with girls in high school, having never even attend, attended a school dance or his prom, he did enter into a relationship after high school. In 1975, when Keith was 20, he married Rose Huckey, and the couple had three children, two daughters and one son. He worked as a truck, a truck driver to support the family. Several years later, Hucky began to suspect Keith was having affairs when strange women would call. Tensions in the marriage increased, and after 14 years while Keith was on the road, Hucky be, uh, packed up her bags and her children's belongings and drove 200 miles away to live with their parent or with her parents in Washington. The oldest child, Melissa, was 10 years old. Keith continued to spend time with his children when he was in town. The couple divorced in 1990. At the age of 35, standing six foot seven and weighing in approximately 240 pounds, Keith began working toward the goal of being a Royal Canadian Mountain Policeman, but an injury suffered while training ended his dream. He then sought work again as an interstate truck driver after relocate, relocating to, to another part of Washington. Keith soon realized that his job afforded a uh, job afforded him the approximate uh, opportunity to kill without being suspected. His first known victim was Tanja Bennett on January the 23rd, 1990, near Portland, Oregon. He introduced himself as Bennett at a bar and invited her to the house he was renting. He brought her home with an idea of having sexual intercourse with her, and when Bennett refused, 
he proceeded to strike and beat her. Worried that she would report this to the police, he then put his fist in her mouth and killed her. He, he established an alibi by going back out for drinks, being sure to converse with others before returning to retrieve Bennett's body and belongings to dispose of them. He was back on the road the next day. The body was found a few days later, but there were no suspects and no leads. It was two and a half years later after his first killing when he killed again. On September the 16th, 1992, the uh, currently unidentified, un unidentified body of a woman he raped and strangled was found near uh, California. He says the Jane Doe's name was Claudia. A month later, Turlock, California, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was discovered. He claims she was a sex worker who entered his truck at a truck stop while he slept. His fourth victim was another sex worker, Laura Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon. Her body was found in November of that year. According to Keith, she attempted to do, uh, double the fees she charged for the sex he had been engaged with with her. She threatened to call police and he strangled her. It was more than six months before his, his next victim was found in June 1993. An, another an unidentified woman, a street person in uh, Santanella, California who he claimed was Carla or Cindy. Police origin, originally considered her death a drug overdose. More than a year later, in September 1994, another Jane Doe was found in Florida. Keith claims her name was Susanna. Now, in January 1995, he agreed to give a woman, Angela Subbrys or Subbrys, a lift from Washington to Indiana. Approximately a week into the trip, Angela became impatient and began to nag Keith to hurry up as she wanted to see her boyfriend. In response, he raped and strangled her. He then strapped her to the undercarriage of his truck and dragged her face down to grind off her face and prints. Her body was not, it was not found for several months, and then only after he gave details to the police. Two months after murdering Angela, he decided that, it that his longtime girlfriend, Julia Ann Winnington Winningham, was interested in him only for money. On March 16, 1995, in Washington, Keith strangled her. She was the only victim he had link a link to which ultimately set police on his trail. Keith was arrested on March 30, 1995 for the murder of Winningham. He had been questioned by the police for a week before, but they had no grounds to arrest him after he refused to talk. In the days following, he decided that he was certainly going to be arrested. And after two suicide attempts, he turned himself in, hoping it would result in leniency 
during his sentencing. While in custody, Keith began revealing details of his killing and making claims of many others, most of which he later um, backtracked on. Also, a few days before his arrest, he wrote a letter to his brother. In it, he confessed to having, having killed eight people over a course of five years. This led police agencies in several states across the county to reopen old, uh, old cases, many of which were found to be possible victims of his. <clears throat> now, although Keith at one point claimed to have had as many as 80, 185 victims, only the, only the eight women killed in California, Florida, Nebraska, Oregon, and Washington, or Washington and Wyoming have been, have been confirmed. He is serving three consecutive life sentences at, a, at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. In September 2009, he was indicted for murder of Riverside County, California, and, uh, and was extradited to California to face the charges in December. Keith was convicted of this murder and received a fourth life sentence in January 2010. This dude's on a roll killing, isn't he? Now, earlier in the investigation of Tonja Bennett's murder, Laverne, I'm not even going to try to say her last name, read the news report surrounding Tonja Bennett's death and saw it was an opportunity to force an end to the long term abusive relationship she had with her live-in boyfriend, John. She set up a meeting with investigating detectives and gave a false confession, using the details she had read in reports to give a detailed story of how he forced her to help him rape, murder, and dispose of Bennett's body. Now, they were both arrested on March the 5th, 1990, and both were convicted of the murder of murder on February the 8th, 1991. To avoid the possibility of facing the death penalty, uh, he pled guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison, while she was sentenced to less than 10 years, much more than she had anticipated. She soon admitted to making it all up, but her claims were ignored. On January the 7th, 1996, more than five years since their conviction, they were released from prison after Keith and his attorney offered his confession with convincing evidence of his guilt. He had given the police officers the location of the victim's purse. The purse had not been found and this location was considered information only the killer would know. Now, this is where uh, he got the name the Happy Face Killer. Now, following Tonja Bennett's murder, as all the attention was given to the other two, Keith wrote a confession on the bathroom wall of a truck stop and signed it with a smiley face. When that did not create the attention he desired, he wrote letters to media outlets and police departments confessing to his murders, starting with a six-page letter, um, the Oregon, uh, 
in which he revealed the details of his killings. He signed each letter with a smiley face. This led Phil Stanford, the journalist working the story for the Oregon, 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 to dub Jasperson the happy face killer. Now, when I first started reading about this story, uh, at the beginning, when I the name itself caught my eye. So, in the back of my mind, before I even started reading the details about the story itself, I originally thought that, okay, he killed his victims, and then he probably carved a smiley face on them. But boy, was I wrong. But anyway, that is the story about Keith Hunter Jesperson. Now, this next week, we are doing another story, and it is called The Man Who Got Aw- Who Almost Got Away With Murder. Um, another thing is thank you for all the people that come and listen to the episodes. I appreciate it. Um, it helps out the podcast. And seeing that, like I've said over numerous times, uh, the podcast now focuses more on true crime, cold cases, stuff in that genre. Seeing that I get more views from that, and that's what people like to hear. Uh, Another thing is I'm in the process of rebranding, rebranding the podcast itself. And what I mean by that is not really advertisement because I've always advertised the podcast the way it is. But as with, uh, thumbnails, pictures, whatnot to advertise the podcast is going towards true crime. Uh, again, like I said, I just want to thank everybody for checking out the podcast. Make sure to follow the podcast. There's always new episodes every single Sunday, unless stated otherwise, but it is always on Sundays. Uh, this is your one your weekly dose of true crime. Make sure to follow me on Twitter. All the links to everywhere is in down is down in the description as well. So make sure to check those out. Make sure to check me out next week on a brand new episode of True Crime. Until the next one, guys. 